Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I just can't tell you what a delight it is for me to be here. And you'll notice that uh, Pastor Steve helped me up the stairs. He'll also help me down the stairs. <laughs> I'm a little older than he is. I said to my wife, Rebecca, the other day, I said, honey, I don't look 77, do I? And she said, no, no, you don't, but you used to. <laughs> <laughs> I do bring you greetings from the wonderful city of Chicago that we've just heard about. And uh, you know, in Chicago the other day, there was a man who actually, uh, he and his wife went out for their 40th wedding anniversary. 40th wedding anniversary, each was 60 years old. An angel appeared to them and said, what would you like for your anniversary? The woman said, I've never traveled. Instantly, the angel flashed his sword, and in her hands were two tickets for a world cruise. It was the man's turn. He took the angel aside and said, you know, I'd really like to be married to somebody who's 30 years younger than I am. And the angel flashed his sword, and instantly, the man was 90 years old. <laughs> Be very careful what you ask for. I just want to say that my heart today is full of joy when I think of all that God has done through the ministry of Pastor Steve and his wife Jennifer and the marvelous ministry that he's had for 22 years and the guidance and the leadership and the vision that he has given to this church as I have heard about it, your expansion of course and all the other things and it is just marvelous to know that in this part of Indiana, there is such a strong and powerful gospel witness. And we're so thankful for you, Pastor Steve, and for those who work with you. And all the good things that God is doing through this ministry. Now I need to say that my lovely wife, Rebecca, is here also. She's not at this service, but will be at the next. But she is going to be at the book table. We brought a few books, and if I might highlight some that she has written, one for children about 6 to 12 entitled Bible Verses, awesome Bible verses every kid should know, and it's doctrine, it's justification, grace, faith, all of those issues, and then a new one for toddlers. And she's going to be there after this service, and uh, she'll be glad to personalize them. And we have some other verse, uh, books out there, like The Church in Babylon, which happens to be the latest one that I've written that deals with immigration and five false gospels within the evangelical church and so forth. But the reason I'm here today is to preach the Word of God and to encourage you. I was in connection with Pastor Steve, and he said, what would you like to speak on? I said, what is it that you need? I sent him four or five different options as to what I would be able to speak about, and uh, he sent back and said, I want you to preach your sermon, How to Survive a Storm. And that is a good sermon to preach, and I'll tell you why. Even though I don't know your names, this I do know about you. 
Oh, by the way, Pastor Steve, I forgot something. Yes, speaking of a tour to Germany, you know that he and I are going to be doing one together. I've led tours to the sites of the Reformation on about a half dozen occasions. And I forgot to mention that 2020, next year, he and I are going to be leading a tour to the sites of the Reformation. You'll be in the place where Luther translated the New Testament. You'll be at the door in Wittenberg where the famous 95 theses were. And also, you can stay for Oberammergau, which happens every 10 years, the Passion Play. We'll have a great time together. It'll be time of learning. You'll understand. I'll give lectures also on Hitler because we'll be talking about Hitler when we get to Munich. So you go on your website and you find out all of the info there, and I hope that you can join us. Sign up. We'll have a great time. Now, back to storms. The fact is that even though I don't know you, you are either coming out of a storm, you're in one, or you're about to go into a storm because all of us experience the storms of life. Maybe for you it is a relational storm. You may be in the midst of a messy divorce. Maybe for you it is a health storm. The doctor told you things that you thought could only be true of somebody else, and you may have discovered this past week that you have cancer or some other disease. Maybe it's a financial storm, and maybe it's a justice storm. You've been mistreated and things have gone wrong in your life and day after day you wonder how everything is going to turn out. Now this I'm going to promise you, that if you listen carefully this morning to how to navigate these storms, you will be blessed, you'll be given insight, and by God's grace, you'll make it all the way to the other side of the lake. The passage of Scripture that I have in mind is in the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, and thank you for those of you who bring your Bibles. I know that the younger generation, God bless you, may you rest in peace. <laughs> I know that you have your Bibles on your iPhones, you know, your jackhammers, your iPads, and I understand that, and you can turn to those, but could you just give attention here for just a moment this is a Bible. This is a Bible. Fourteenth <laughs> chapter of the book of Matthew, and I'm beginning at verse 22. Jesus, by the way, had done a miracle. He had fed 5,000 people. And it says in verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Is there someone here this morning who says, that's my story, the wind is against me? Everything that I try to do falls apart, all of the issues that I'm dealing with, none of them seem to be turning out, I am the victim of injustice and all the other issues that we've spoken about, and the wind is against me. If that's you, you came to the right place this morning. Now here's what we're going to do, and I want to be clear, I don't want to be like a politician who left a political rally in Chicago the other night, 
and whispered to one of his aides, I hope that in the excitement I didn't happen to make myself clear about anything. <laughs> so I want to be clear. We're going to learn seven lessons, and these, I think, are going to be on the screen, and I want you to take them home with you. I want you to laminate them. I want you to put them on your fridge where you see them every day because you will need these lessons if you don't need them today. Seven lessons on how to navigate the storms of life. Number one, let's remember that storms are often encountered while doing God's will. Storms are often encountered while doing God's will. Let me ask you a question. Were these disciples in the will of God? Of course they were. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus were to come out of heaven and say to you, get into this boat and go to the other side? You talk about direct, clear guidance. The disciples had that guidance and that direction, but while obeying Jesus, they encountered one of the greatest storms they had ever encountered in Galilee. Just because you're encountering a storm today doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God. Just because you're having marital issues. By the way, the other day in Chicago, a guy said to me, I was married by a judge. Now I wish I'd asked for a jury. <laughs> but let me tell you this. Just because you are encountering in, in, uh, storms today doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. Let me say it very clearly that the holiest path is oftentimes the most, is oftentimes the roughest path. The holiest path sometimes is the path that is the path that is with the one with the most storms. Jesus appointed these, this storm for these disciples. And so sometimes when you're encountering a storm, don't think to yourself, I must be out of God's will. You may be obedient to God's will. We think to ourselves that if we're walking with God, then as we walk along the, the path of life, there are going to be little flowers on each side of the sidewalk, and everything is going to be beautiful. Not so. Storms are often encountered while you are obeying Christ right in the middle of the will of God. And thank you for those amens. Did you know that it is still legal in Indiana to say amen in a church? <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. Second, remember this. Storms should remind us of God's promises. Storms should remind us of God's promises. You say, well, where is that in the text? When Pastor Steve preaches, you should always say, Pastor, where is that in the text? Well, here it is. You'll notice that Jesus said that they were to get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now, if the creator of the winds and the oceans and the mountains tells you to go to the other side, you'll make it to the other side. If they had listened carefully to the words of Jesus, they could have enjoyed this storm. They could have said to themselves, you know, the master told us to go to the other side. Even though we've been rowing all of these hours, we will make it to the other side based on his promise. In other words, if you're to be hung, you'll never drown. And I think that was funnier than some of you maybe realized. <laughs> there was no chance that this boat would go down. 
God still had something for these men to do. Peter had not yet written First and Second Peter. He had not preached his sermons that he preached after the day of Pentecost. John had not yet written his writings in the New Testament. God still had something for them to do. And I can tell you this, that there, I know that security is important. We have security at Moody Church, and I'm sure that you have security here this morning. But I do need to say that ultimately there is no combination of men and demons who can put you to death if God thinks there's still work for you to do. And thank you for the amens coming now from this side. The fact is this, that what we need to do is to go back to the promises. Now I was brought up in Canada and we used to sing a little ditty in church, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. You know, actually that's not true. There are promises that God made to Abraham that he didn't make to me. But there are dozens of promises that are directed toward us as a church. One of them is what your pastor, I believe, is gonna be preaching on very shortly from the book of Romans, the last part of chapter eight where it says that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, that means poverty, sword, in other words, dying for the faith. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ our Lord. And what we need to do in those moments when we are receiving very difficult, damaging news to remember to hang on to the promises of God, to capture them in our hearts, to renew ourselves and to say, I have trusted a Christ who is able to take me all the way to the other side of the lake and he will not leave me nor forsake me. By the way, there is a verse for you. Chapter 13, verse five of the book of Hebrews. Did you know that in Greek there are five negatives in that verse? I will no not leave you, I will no not forsake you. Five times God says never, 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 never. Now there's a promise that you can hang on to in the midst of your storm. So when the storms of life come, what do we do? We grasp and we hold on to the promises of God. That's lesson number two. But let's go to lesson number three. And this might be the most important. Even when we cannot see Jesus, Jesus sees us. Even when we cannot see Jesus, Jesus sees us. In March, it was the privilege of Rebecca and me to actually be in Israel, and we crossed the Sea of Galilee on a boat. And I can assure you that these hills, which in, the mountain, which in the New Testament are referred to as mountains, these hills, there are a number of them that surround Galilee, so we don't know exactly where Jesus was. But let me ask you this question. Was it possible in the darkness for these disciples to see Jesus? Of course not. But Jesus was able to see them. He knew the longitude and the latitude of their little boat. He knew the depth of the water. He knew the strength of every board. He knew all of the molecules and all of the issues that made up their situation. He saw them with accuracy. And even when you and I cannot see Jesus, oh, my dear brothers and sisters today, Jesus sees us and he sees you in your boat and in your dilemma at work, and in your marriage where you are at, Jesus sees you, Amen. even when we cannot see him. Yeah. 
For 20 years, I played tennis. By the way, tennis players oftentimes make very bad husbands. Perhaps you know that, because to a tennis player, love means nothing. <laughs> For 20 years, I played tennis with a man by the name of Mark, and Mark got terminal cancer. And uh, before he died, I remember him telling me, he said, I left the bedroom in tremendous pain in the middle of the night. I didn't want to wake my wife, but he said, I sat on the couch, and he said, Erwin, all the faith just drained from my soul. There was no faith. He could not see Jesus in the midst of his pain. But even there, when you cannot see Jesus, Jesus sees you. And you know, my friends, when push comes to shove, as it often does in life, it is more important that God see us than that we see God. You know, those of you who struggle with depression, and of course there are many different causes for depression, and I'm not an expert in those things, but would you write this down to encourage you that feelings are not facts? Feelings are not facts. You may feel as if God has abandoned you. You may feel as if there's nothing but this tunnel of darkness that some people have explained to me. Darkness, darkness, darkness. But even in the midst of your darkness, God sees you even when you cannot see him as we go across the lake of life. Well, let's go on to number four. Number four, Jesus comes to us at the right time. Now your Bibles are open, and we're reading it now at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. You'll notice that Jesus comes to them in the fourth watch of the night. When does he come? The time when it is the darkest. He comes at the time when the disciples are the most weary. He comes at a time when they have exhausted themselves. By the way, you know, I'm thinking of this passage, having just been on Galilee a couple of months ago. The fact is, the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, isn't that far across in certain places, maybe six or seven miles other places maybe a bit longer. And here they are. They are working to get across to the other side. They are working at this for hours because the wind was against them. And uh, when they were the most weary, the most desperate, the most helpless, Jesus shows up. And I want to remind you today that Jesus often comes to us just at the right time, and that right time usually is at our time of absolute, complete devastation and discouragement. Amen. It is then that Jesus shows up. You know that uh, we're living in an era, even in America, where we should be desperate, but we aren't yet. We aren't really praying yet, really calling out to God in repentance and faith, despite the fact that everything that has been nailed down is being torn up. God wants us to be desperate people, because remember, only desperate people pray. 
If you're not desperate, you're not going to be interceding. You're not going to be praying. God, God loves to bring us to the point of desperation. He loves to see us in our great need because it is then that we come and we cast ourselves upon him absolutely helplessly, and he comes to us at the right time when we are the most weary. My wife and I know a woman who lived an immoral life. As a matter of fact, that was her livelihood. And she used to pray, oh, God, get me out of here. But he never did. But then one time in desperation, she got on her knees and she cried up to God and she said, oh, God, get me out of here or kill me, but do one or the other. And she meant it. And that was the day that she walked free and today, to the glory of God, she's married to a man with a similar kind of background, and they are ministering to broken people, because broken people oftentimes are used mightily by God to minister to other broken people, and um, God is using them mightily. But it was the point of desperation that brought her deliverance. Yes. He is just in time, God. You remember Abraham willing to sacrifice Isaac and his knife is gleaming there in the morning sun and just in time as he has the knife up the Lord says to him Abraham don't do it and just in time there's a ram there caught in the thicket just in time so that Abraham can offer that ram in the place of his son representing of course the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemption. God comes to us at the point of our need, and sometimes that need is the point of desperation. I sometimes preach to parents about how to pray for their children. And um, one of the things that parents have to do is to absolutely insist that Satan will not have their child and in desperation and helplessness cry up to God and ask God to do something that they cannot. And it is then that God begins to hear, God begins to answer. God loves desperate people. That's number four. Well, we're making good time here today. Number five, our fears might be Jesus in disguise. Our fears might be Jesus in disguise. I don't mean, I, I spoke about this one time and somebody thought I meant Jesus in disguise, you know, like fly de-friendly skies, but that's not what I have in mind. I mean, disguise Jesus in camouflage. They didn't recognize it as Jesus. They thought it was a ghost. But that which they feared was Jesus coming to them. Let me put it to you even more clearly. The wind that brought them the storm is the same wind that brought them Jesus. And you must understand that when the storms come to us, Jesus is in that storm, and you and I must believe that and we must see him, because if all that we see is the wind, we're going to be in desperation. And what we have to know is that Jesus comes to us in different ways. Rebecca gave me an article years ago about a woman who wrote it, and she said that uh, God gave us a special needs child. And then when this baby was born, they, of course, were very angry. You know, why us? Somewhat embarrassed, you know, our child isn't like everybody else's kid, on and on. And um, it ruined their life, basically, because they wanted to travel and do all these things, and now God gives them a baby that needs their attention 24-7. 
And so they accepted it in anger. But this article was now written 13 or 14 years later when the child was that old in which he said, we didn't see it at the time. But this child was Jesus coming to us. As we began to take care of this child, God began to show us our own selfishness. God began to show us himself in the midst of our situation. And, and we began to realize as we began to orient our own values and so forth that we sure didn't see it at the time, but this is Jesus coming toward us. And if all that you see in your storm is the devil, and the devil may be involved, certainly the devil was even involved in Job's life, as you well know, but even beyond that, what did Job say at the end? The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't say the Lord gave and the devil took away. No, in the midst of his problem and situation, there, Job was able to see the hand of God even in the midst of it. If you've ever been sued in court unjustly, it's very difficult for us to see God in the midst of that. But even there, if you have the faith to believe it, it is Jesus coming to us. Amen. One day I said to my friend Mark, I said, Mark, have you ever thanked God for your cancer? He said, oh, yes. He said, I thank him every day. He said, heaven was very theoretical to me, but he said, now it is very, very real, the fact that I'm going to be there soon. And it's true. He was there quite soon, about two weeks later. But I can tell you this, that when he was told he had terminal cancer, I can assure you that he did not see Jesus in the midst of it. When we were still able to play tennis together, after we were finished, we'd sit down, he would cry, he would tell me about his fears. I sat during those sessions trying to help him process it as a support, reminding him of the great things of Scripture, reminding him of our friendship. We joked about signing up to play in heaven, though I hoped that it wouldn't be next week when both of us would be there. <laughs> but I can tell you this, that when you begin to see that storm, you don't see Jesus. Let, let me give you another thing to write down, and it's actually by Elizabeth Elliot, all right? She said this, in acceptance, there is peace. In acceptance, there is peace. Don't chafe in anger against your storm. Don't say all that I see in the middle of this is injustice and the devil. They may be involved, but even there, Jesus comes to us, and the wind brings us Jesus. Sometimes our perceived enemy turns out to be a friend that helps us. I've tried to help people to understand that, that your, your friends can only take you to your potential. Only your enemies can take you beyond it. Amen. Thank you for that support. Number five. Now we're at number six already. You might actually get out early today. Number six, but don't count on it. <laughs> number six, we must realize that the water that threatens to be over our head is under his feet. The water that threatens to be over our head is under his feet. Now, I want you to visualize this. If you had a phone... A cell phone in those days, like everybody does now, and everything is photographed. If you had had that, 
you'd have seen two people walking on the water. There would have been um, Jesus, of course, and then uh, later on we'll get to Peter in just a moment, but you'd have seen Jesus walking on the water as if he was walking on a marble floor. He was not affected by the waves. He was not affected by the wind. He walks confidently over the water, and that which they feared, namely drowning, was under the feet of the sovereign Jesus. Now, for a moment today, I want you to think of your storm, and I want you to realize that Jesus is above that storm, walking above it. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that Jesus is above every principality and every power and every name that is named, both in this world and in the world to come, and God has put all things in subjection under his feet. I want you to know that Jesus walks confidently above your storm. He's not affected by the waves, he's not affected by the wind, he's not affected by the uncertainty and the unpredictability that you and I have to live in. I hope that you are comfortable with the unpredictability of God's purposes. You know, in the New Testament, for example, in the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, we read that that, um, Philip, I should say that the king, King Herod killed James with a sword. Peter is supposed to die the next day, and he's sleeping in prison. By the way, why is he sleeping in prison? The only thing I can think of is he wanted to arrive in heaven rested. You know, he thought, <laughs> if I'm going to die tomorrow, I want, to be rest, um, I want to be rested. So he is sleeping there. And God allows James to be killed, and Peter lives. That's the unpredictability of God. We don't understand all this, but in the midst of it, we have to look beyond the circumstances and we have to look to God and to see that he is above every vicissitude and storm of life. The sovereign Christ comes walking to them. Number seven, our ability to walk depends on the focus of our eyes. Our ability to walk depends upon the focus of our eyes. Verse 28, and um, Jesus said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, boy, underline that in your Bible, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, there is a time for long prayers. Your pastor probably has prayed long prayers. I have prayed long prayers. And it's okay to even pray a long prayer for the benefit of the congregation. Jesus said this at the grave of Lazarus. He said, I'm not praying this. I wouldn't have to, but I'm doing it for the benefit of those who are listening. It's okay to pray a long prayer. But when you're drowning... Your prayer has to be very short. Lord, save me. Three words. Immediately. By the way, you know your Bibles are open. Do you notice that Jesus is the immediate Jesus? I have new glasses, but they're the wrong prescription, so I have to look at these very carefully. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get out of the boat. 
Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Let me ask you something. What was Peter's greatest problem? But before I tell you what his greatest problem was, let me tell you this. We as preachers sometimes criticize Peter. We say, well, you know, if Peter had just kept his eyes on Jesus, he could have walked across the whole sea, which is true. And you'd have seen two people walking across the sea if he had only kept his eyes on Jesus, and we understand that. But let's give him credit for getting out of the boat. I'll tell you this, that we should commend him because there are many Christians who, who never get out of the boat. They never take any risks for God. You can't do anything great for God unless it involves risk of some sort, reasonable risk, hopefully, but risk. And so we should rejoice in the fact that he had the nerve to get out of the boat. Let me put it to you even more clearly. A wet Peter is better than a dry Thomas. There was no chance that the other men were going to drown that were there in the boat because they stayed in the boat. Now, back to my question. What was Peter's greatest problem? Was it the speed of the wind? Was it the height of the waves? Was it the depth of the water? Of course not, because to Jesus, it didn't matter whether the wind was 20 miles an hour or 50 miles an hour. I mean, he's the creator of the wind, the sea, and so forth. So to Jesus, that didn't matter. The depth of the water didn't matter, whether or not it was six feet, 20 feet, 50 feet. None of that really mattered to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of all storms. None of that really mattered. Peter's problem was your problem and my problem. Lack of faith. Why did you doubt? If you'd have kept trusting me and trusting my promises, you would have known that you could have continued to walk if you'd have kept your eyes on me, and in this way, you'd have made it all the way to the other side of the lake, walking with me on the water. How do we keep our eyes on Jesus? May I mention my friend Mark one more time? One day before he died, I said, Mark, how do you keep your eyes on Jesus? And he went over to a drawer and pulled out laminated pages and on the pages were about 120 promises of Scripture. And he says, whenever my heart is fearful, I go to the Word. Many of these Scriptures I have memorized. You keep your eyes on Jesus, believing that He is capable and able to take you all the way to the other side of the lake. And for those of us, you know, who think occasionally about death, because, you know, one of the good things about old age is, it doesn't last very long. <laughs> Those of us who think about death, we're reminded of the book of Hebrews. It says that Jesus is our forerunner. He has run ahead of us. And the imagery there in Scripture is that a forerunner ran ahead with a rope and then by means of an ancient winch was able to bring the boat in. And, you know, it was tossed by the waves and perhaps it was leaking and all those other things. But the forerunner makes sure that the boat gets all the way to the shore. And we trust Christ to take us all the way to the shore. And we can trust him. But, you know, there are some of you here who are not going to trust Christ all the way to the shore until your boat is smashed against the rock somewhere along the shore. And then you wake up and say, I really do need a Savior to help me to get to the other side. 
I hope that today you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only one capable of taking you to the other side of the lake. Now, I want to tell you a story. Tony Evans, who's, who's also on Moody Radio, as you know, is a friend of mine. He told me this story. Actually, it was in a sermon of his, I believe, and then I verified the story with him. One day, he and his wife Lois were on a cruise, and uh, the word came over the intercom that um, they were headed into a storm, so the captain said, buckle up or do whatever you have to do because it's going to be rough. Well, Lois, his wife, didn't like that, so she tried to talk to the captain, didn't talk to him, but talked to his assistant and said, why are we going into the storm? Why don't we just stay here, put down anchor, and uh, stay here until the storm is over? He said, I'll talk to the captain, get back to you. A few minutes later, he gets back and says, uh, I spoke to the captain and he has two things to say to you. I'm sure they were very, very diplomatic, but number one was, um, I'm in charge and you're not. <laughs> and then the captain said this, now if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down too. Those of you who are taking notes, your head in heaven is going to be so heavy with your crown, your head will be tilted. <laughs> are you ready to write? He said, tell her that this ship was built with this storm in mind. And my dear friend, when you trust Jesus Christ who died on the cross, was buried and raised again and taken to heaven, the absolute total sovereign Christ, Lord God over all storms and over all things. Let me tell you that he died and rose again and ascended with your storm in mind. And he can take you all the way to the end of the lake. You know, I was rereading this uh, this morning, and there was something in the text that I'm not sure that I really appreciated and saw clearly. You know, that's the way the Word of God is. You keep reading it. It says, and when they got into the boat, Jesus got into the boat with them. Let me tell you something. Jesus comes to us in our storm. You know, he could have stayed on the shore and said, peace be still, and everything would have been still. But Jesus came to them in their storm. And Jesus comes to you in your storm. And in the midst of your dilemma, he comes. And he gets into your boat and says, let's go to the other side of the lake together. Now, here's what we're going to do today. Why not? Let's give our storms to God. Let, let's have a time in which we take the storm that is on our shoulders and transfer it to Jesus Christ. But before I give you further instruction on how to do it, I have to give you an illustration. When Rebecca and I flew to Israel, we flew, first of all, to Frankfurt. I think we were on American Airlines to Frankfurt, Germany. Now, of course, you have to use your imagination because today in a day when security is a big issue, this doesn't work, and I understand that. Maybe years ago when I was growing up and security wasn't that big a deal, it may have been a more plausible illustration, so use your imagination. Let's suppose that we were leaving Chicago and as the plane began to cross the ocean, I said to a flight attendant, I were to say to her, you know, 
would you check to see whether or not the pilots are awake? And uh, she did, and she came back, we could imagine, and say, yeah, yeah, the pilots are awake. An hour later, I remember that there are some people who have fallen asleep within an hour, and I say, um, I wonder, would you check to see whether or not the pilots are awake? So she does, and she comes back and says, yeah, they are awake. And then I think to myself, well, you know, you never know. And I'm a little embarrassed to ask her a third time, but she and I are talking about, you know, when does this flight arrive in Frankfurt, and how long have you been a flight attendant? And then I say, well, you know, now that we're talking, would you check to see whether or not the pilots are awake? And in anger, she says to me, let me make a deal with you. I'll pour you a cup of coffee if you promise to step outside and drink it. And then she says, you're insulting the pilots of American Airlines, and I would be. Brothers and sisters, you and I insult God regularly. We give him a problem, and then we say, well, have you solved it yet? Has my son come back? Lord, has this whole thing gone away? No, it's still here. And, and God, you know, were you listening? Don't you remember yesterday when I gave this to you and this has been now a whole week going on and you haven't solved it yet? Are you awake? My dear friend, you and I need to transfer our burden to God and once it is transferred, we don't necessarily always keep asking God to do it, though that isn't wrong, but rather we thank him. This is what I want to have happen in the next few moments. I want you to think of your two greatest storms, maybe three, at the most, that's all we can handle today, but take the big ones. And I want us to transfer them from our shoulders to the shoulders of Jesus, because the Bible says the governments of the world will be upon his shoulders, and he can handle it, and casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I want us to do that together today. So think about your storm. Because you're such a responsive audience, I'll tell you one more story before we give our storms to God, and that is a woman who had a heavy suitcase and was waiting for the bus, and she was carrying it, actually, and a bus came along, and she was able to get on, and when she was in the bus, she kept holding it up in the aisle, and somebody said, put it down. She said, I'm glad that the bus is carrying me. I can't expect it to carry my suitcase, too. If you're a believer... You're on the bus. Amen. Put down the suitcase. Anxiety is not something you and I were built to be able to handle, and all of us struggle with anxiety. I struggle with it, tension, anxiety. But God says today, give me your storm, trust me, and wake up tomorrow morning and give me thanks and praise that the storm is in my hands and trust me all the way to the other side of the lake, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And he'll get into your boat and say, let's make it together.